Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. So listen, until Jesus comes back, Israel is never going to be at peace. They're going to have a pseudo peace under a person that we commonly call the Antichrist. So pray for Israel. Pray that God would open the eyes of Jewish people, that they would see the Messiah in this time, that they would recognize that Jesus is the Lord. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Ezekiel chapters 20 through 28. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We know from, even into the New Testament, we know that the priesthood goes on, continues to exist. We know, of course, at the time of Jesus, there are these high priests. But from the time of Zedekiah to this very day, there has never been a king in Israel. There's never been a king. Now, let me clarify. There's never been a king that was a Davidic king. There were kings in what we know as the intertestamental period. So, you know, from the end of the, New, the Old Testament, which is Malachi in our Bibles, or Second Chronicles in the uh, Hebrew Bible, from the end until the voice of one crying in the wilderness in the New Testament, John the Baptist, um, if you end with Malachi to John, you have four, uh, approximately 400 years. Think about it, 400 years, a long time. Now, the history of Israel, they've come back into the land. They've been reestablished. But for the next 400 years, it is just chaotic. It's just absolutely a mess for them. They never gain real authority over the land. They come back into the land under Persian rule, the Persians are eventually conquered by the Greeks. They live in the land under Greek rule. And then, of course, the Greeks will eventually, their whole thing will kind of unravel. And eventually the Romans will rise to power. They will be there under Roman rule. But there's no Davidic king. Zedekiah was the last one. But then in that intertestamental period, you had these, what they were called, they were called the Hasmoneans. And there was a, a Maccabean family. And these were priest kings. So they were, they were not of the Judean tribe. They were actually Levites who took the role of priest and king, which was forbidden by God. God forbid that, that there should be a priest who was also a king or a king who was also a priest. And the reason why God forbid that is because that role is reserved for one person. Now, remember in, when you come to the New Testament, and especially Matthew's gospel, you read about Herod, the king of the Jews. So Herod is crowned as king of the Jews, but he himself is not a Jew. He is an Edomite. He's related to Esau. He's one of the last of, uh, they were called the Idumeans at the time, and they were the final, historically, the final descendants of Esau. So that's who Herod is. But he's married to a Hasmonean princess. So his children are 
part Jewish. They're half Jewish and then half Idumean. But he is called the king of the Jews. And that's why, I mean, you think about it, that's why when the, when the, uh, the Magi come from the east and they come to the court of Herod and they ask this question, where is he who is born the king of the Jews? See, that's a massive problem for Herod because he was not born the king of the Jews. He was a usurper put on the throne by the Romans. So this now, this is where this prophecy really gets interesting when he says, it's finished and the crown will not be restored until he to whom it rightfully belongs shall come. Guess who that is? That's the Lord Jesus. So like when Jesus says to the Jews in that final week of his life, when he's departing from the temple, he says, your house, speaking of the temple, is left to you desolate and you will not see me again until you say blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord so and now remember you've got the turban and the crown here and this is where it gets really interesting in Zechariah chapter 6 I'm going to flip over there you can if you want to here's the prophecy about the Messiah being both a priest and a king. Now, we studied Hebrews together. You've probably read the book of Hebrews yourself. And what you find in Hebrews, remember the person named Melchizedek? Melchizedek is what? He's a priest, priest to the most high God, but he's also the king of Salem. And so he's a picture of Messiah. He's a picture of Jesus. And now look what it says in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. It's speaking of Joshua. Interesting. The high priest, his name is Joshua. That's the name of Jesus, right? Jesus is Joshua, really. We call him Jesus because it's taken from the Greek Isus. And so it's transliterated into English as Jesus. But the, the Hebrew name of Jesus is Joshua. So this is the high priest, Joshua, and tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch. And he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord and he will be clothed with majesty and he will sit and rule on his throne and he will be a priest on his throne. And there will be harmony between the priesthood and the monarchy. It will now be blended into one person. So this is Zechariah. He's prophesying this. This is exactly what Ezekiel, the Lord is saying to Ezekiel. That the turban and the crown are gone until the one who is the rightful, the one to whom it rightfully belongs. Now, one more connecting point. Back in Genesis, there is a reference in chapter 50 or 49 to talking about Judah, who's going to be the messianic line will come from Judah. And it says regarding Judah, it says, from him, Shiloh will come. And to him will be the gathering of the people. 
So Shiloh, people are like, well, what does Shiloh actually mean? And they've translated it to mean roughly the one whose right it is. So here you have this, you know, repeat throughout the scripture, the one whose right it is. And so here we are today. Israel has been in the land since, well, they've been in the land for much longer than the 70 or so years since 1948, but they have been established as a nation for 70 years. They have no king. And of course, they won't have a king until they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, you know, I'm all excited. I love Israel. You know, we take trips to Israel. We have many Israeli friends. Israel's awesome. But I think as Christians, sometimes we, we get this thing about Israel where we, we just don't think correctly about their state. and Not their nation state, but their, their spiritual state. And the spiritual state of Israel presently is a state of not being the people of God. We often refer to Israel as the people of God, the people of God. Well, historically, in the past, yes, and in the future, yes, but in the present tense, they are not the people of God. God said that to them through Hosea the prophet. You will not be my people. I will not be your God. And that's the status that they hold to this very day. And so... You know, sometimes as Christians, we get all caught up in even, even in Israeli politics and we wonder, well, why isn't this happening? And, you know, the Jews should be able to live in peace and all of this stuff. And, you know, from a purely human standpoint, I get that. I understand that. I've been there enough to know that uh, the Jews are just as human as anybody else and they can be just as evil as anybody else and cruel and all of that stuff. So that's all a reality. But when Christians get in their mind that somehow, you know, the Jews have this right and they should be able to live in peace in their land, we are not speaking biblically at that point. We're speaking emotionally. We're speaking partially biblically, but we're picking and choosing the the biblical passages that we want to embrace because there's a bunch of other passages that tell us things like this passage in Ezekiel is telling us that it's a ruin, it's going to be desolate until... He to whom it rightfully belongs shall come. So listen, until Jesus comes back, Israel is never going to be at peace. They're going to have a pseudo peace under a person that we commonly call the Antichrist. So pray for Israel. Pray that God would open the eyes of Jewish people, that they would see the Messiah in this time, that they would recognize that Jesus is the Lord. Let's see the gospel spread throughout Israel. Let's love the Jewish people and the Arab people in the nation and all of that. But let's not have a a false understanding of what is really the case. They are still in that place where they are out of the covenant with God because they are still in that place of rejecting the Messiah. And as much as they will often give overtures to evangelicals and they're thankful for our our love and support, you know, that's all well, fine and good until you walk up to a Jewish person and say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. Then they're like, oh, no, no, you you can't do that here. (laughs) We, we, We don't want you to be here doing that. So, I mean, God's softening hearts at this time 
and that's a beautiful thing. And we want to see uh, Jewish people come to faith. But, you know, some Christians have even had the mistaken idea that the Jewish people have sort of their own track to God. It's like, well, yeah, you know, everybody else has to believe in Jesus, but the Jews, they're, you know, they, they kind of have their own deal with God. And of course, the Jews will tell you that themselves. They're like, well, we don't need Jesus. We just go to God, man. You guys have the Son. We don't need the Son. We've got the Father. But that's completely unbiblical from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus said to the Jewish leaders of his day, he said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So there's no special Jewish road to God that is separate from Jesus. They, like everyone else, must come through the one way to God, which is the Messiah. So that is chapter 21. Chapter 22, the judgment on Jerusalem's sins. We're going to just breeze right through there to chapter 23. Chapter 23 is again speaking about the judgment that's coming upon the two adulterous sisters. And listen to just the first few verses. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. There were two women, daughters of the same mother. They became prostitutes in Egypt. He's talking about Samaria and Jerusalem. He goes on to say, he names them here. Ahola is Samaria and Aholiba is Jerusalem. These names mean something like a tent, kind of like the idea that they were to be the dwelling place of God, but they sold themselves into prostitution. And so the 23rd chapter is basically, again, all about their sins and the reason for which the judgment is coming upon them. Chapter 24, here now we move along in the ninth year, in the 10th month. So we are now closer and closer to the destruction of Jerusalem. We're two years now away. It's in the 11th year. And and the year, the calculate is based on the reign of Zedekiah. So this is in the ninth year of the reign of Zedekiah. We were in the seventh year, and it's in the 11th year that the, that the temple will be destroyed. Now, in this 24th chapter, there's just an interesting event that occurs personally with Ezekiel in chapter 15, or verse 15, and listen to what it says. This is really interesting, and could imagine what this might have been like for Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, with one blow, I am about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened, your sandals on your feet. Do not cover your mustache or beard or eat the customary food of mourners. So I spoke to the people in the morning and the next evening my wife died. So... The prophets would, their life experiences would sometimes be the very thing that God would be using to tell the story to the nation. So that's what's happening here. And so the next morning I did as I had been commanded. Then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things have to do with us? Why are you acting like this? So they know his wife died, but he's not mourning. He's not showing any emotion over it. And... 
So I said to them, the word of the Lord came to me saying, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I'm about to desecrate my sanctuary, the stronghold in which you take pride, the delight of your eyes, the object of your affection. So of course the temple was the pride of the nation. God says, I'm going to desecrate it. And the sons and daughters you left behind back in Israel, back in Jerusalem, talking to the people in Babylon, they will fall by the sword. And you will do as I have done. You will not cover your mustache and beard or eat the customary food of mourners. You will keep your turbans on your head, your sandals on your feet. You will not mourn or weep, but will waste away because of your sins and groan among yourselves. Ezekiel will be assigned to you and you will do just as he does when this happens. You will know that I am the sovereign Lord. And so, interesting experience in the life of the prophet. Now, chapter 25 is prophecies against the surrounding nations. So you have a prophecy against Ammon, and then against Moab, and then against Edom, and against Philistia. So Ammon, Moab, and Edom are what we know today as Jordan. So those three nations were there on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And what the prophecy is essentially saying was that they, the original inhabitants, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Moabites, they would ultimately disappear from history and they would be replaced by peoples from the east. And it's interesting that as you look at those lands today, they are inhabited, but they are not inhabited by Ammonites, Edomites, or Moabites. They are uh, inhabited by uh, Arabs, Iraqis, um, Egyptians in some case. So just as the prophecy said that those nations would vanish in history, like I was saying earlier about Herod, the la- kind of the last Edomite, they've long moved off the historical scene, but those lands are still inhabited today. And they are the neighbors of Israel. So then Philistia is the other nation, prophecy against Philistia. And you know, where all of these three countries, Edom, Moab, and Ammon were on the east side of the Jordan, Philistia is on the west side. The Philistines were along the coast. So they were in like the Gaza Strip. So that's the Philistines were along that area, Ashkelon, these places along there. So, and again, today, the Philistines are no longer, they're no longer a people. But the name Palestine, you know, Israel is sometimes called Palestine. It was called Palestine, especially under the British mandate, it was called Palestine. Palestine is taken from the word Philistine. And it was the Roman emperor that renamed the land of Israel Palestine after, I think it was about 135 AD, because he wanted to obliterate the the memory of the Jews. So now chapter 26, and we're going to make it through to um, chapter, we're going to make it through chapter 28. That's our goal. And then we'll pick up the prophecies in 29 on through are all about Egypt. And then we go into 
prophecies about the restoration of the land. So, but in chapter 26, now we come to the prophecy against Tyre. So Tyre is this, the famous city north of Israel in what today is Lebanon. And Tyre is connected to Sidon. They were twin, you know, sister cities. Sidon was a little further north. And Tyre, the kingdom of Tyre, uh, they were the Phoenicians and they were the great seafaring people of the ancient world. And through their trade on the seas, they became an extremely powerful and extremely wealthy nation. And so this is a prophecy against Tyre. Now, notice the date here. In the 11th month of the 12th year. So this prophecy is coming to Tyre after Jerusalem has been destroyed. And so listen to what it says. So on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, because Tyre has said of Jerusalem, aha, the gate to the nations is broken and its doors have swung open to me. Now that she lies in ruin, I will prosper. So now, Jerusalem has been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and Tyre is throwing a party because they competed with one another for trade. So Jerusalem sort of had the market on trade and the trade routes on the land and Tyre had the market on the sea. But because Jerusalem held the market on the land, Tyre was there were certain places that they didn't have the kind of access to that they could have had. So they're throwing a party in Tyre because Jerusalem's out of the picture now. We're going to get all of their clients. <laughs> we're going we're to be able to do all the business that we've always wanted to do, but we couldn't do because they had our business. So that's the attitude of Tyre. And so this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Tyre, and I will bring many nations against you like the sea casting up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and pull down her towers. I will scrape away her rubble and make her a bare rock. Out in the sea, she will become a place to spread fish nets, for I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. Then verse seven, for this is what the sovereign Lord says from the north, I am going to bring against Tyre, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings with horses and chariots and horsemen and a great army. He will ravage your settlements on the mainland with the sword and he will set up siege works against you, build ramps uh, up to your walls and raise his shields against you. Now, Tyre was a city, you know, based right on the coast of what we, like I said, what we know today as Lebanon. But about a half a mile out on the sea, there was an island. And that was where they had a, you know, kind of like the royalty. Um, That was their special place. And so when Nebuchadnezzar came, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the, everything that was on the mainland but he wasn't able to get to this island. They were protected because they had a navy that protected them, but they were, you know, the distance where they just were not able to 
access it. November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a timely resource titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. Has a skeptic in your life ever stumped you with questions regarding God, social ethics, or supposed contradictions in the Bible? Well, with this book, One Minute Answers to Skeptics, concise responses to the top 50 objections and questions by Charlie Campbell, you can be equipped to address the questions of skeptics on those exact topics and many others. If you want to be equipped to always be ready to give a defense of the faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ezekiel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.